Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We've seen recently, particularly in the COVID crunch that happened last year, that all asset classes actually correlate together. That is just a really good indication of why you really need to have a well-diversified, well-allocated portfolio. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello and today I'm speaking with a senior funds management professional who has twice jumped out of planes, skied from high mountains, driven fast cars and eaten fast food. Camilla Love, Managing Director of E-Invest. Hello Camilla. Hi Phil, how are you? Good. Camilla, you founded E-Invest in 2017. Tell us about E-Invest and starting E-Invest. How was that? How was it starting your own ETF company? Well, actually quite daunting Mm -hmm. as starting most companies, you know, is. So my background is in funds management, as you said, and I actually specialise in institutional management. So selling to big super funds and the like like that. So institutional, that's um, just for listeners who don't know, institutionals are like, like you say, they're big super funds. Big super funds, you know, companies like AMP and colonial first date, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would take my investment professionals intellect and the portfolios they put together and I'd sell it out to those big institutions. It's just interesting to find out how these kind of things work, especially people who have no idea how the industry works from the outside. That's right. So one day my boss actually popped his head over the petition between us and said, Camilla, what do you think of the ETF industry? And I said, well, you know, had you had read my MBA thesis three years ago, you'd have worked that out. You know, he asked me to dust it off, write me a business plan. And um, that's what E-Invest is today. So E-Invest is an active manager specializing in ETFs and we provide ETFs where we believe that active management makes sense. So we partner with institutional quality investment managers and bring their portfolios through in an ETF format. Tell me about your MBA thesis. It was about the problems with ETFs, wasn't it? Well, actually what it was was actually bringing new business ideas to the current business that Perennial was in. And so Perennial, what they do do is they bolt on boutiques, they specialise with teams that are really intellectual in areas in investment management, like smaller companies, like fixed income, like global small and mid caps. And so they partner with those type of businesses. And then what I did was look at that landscape and say, what else is out there that we could partner with? And ETFs, LICs in the listed space was definitely one that I could see was growing, was democratising the access of investment professionals to everyday Australians. And I really wanted to bring that quality to people's portfolios. So that's what eInvest is. So how long did it take you to get it started? A while. Uh, mm-hmm. probably took me about two years between writing the business plan and getting the first ETF launched, which was IGA, the Invest Income Generator Fund in 2018. And that was actually seven days before I actually had my second child. So everything was going on <laughs> at the same time in my household. But um, it's really, really enjoyable. And I love building businesses and creating new things. 
Here at the podcast, we're always banging on about taking your first investing steps via passive ETFs, but eInvest offers actively managed ETFs. What's the difference and why active instead of passive? So passive ETFs are rules-based or based on an index. So they follow rules set up by people who build that index or build that product, and that's how you invest. And that's a really great way to start. What active ETFs are is tapping into the intellect of investment professionals who day in, day out, look at companies to invest in. And instead of portfolios that might have 200 or 2000 stocks, depending on the index that you're investing in, they might have 60, 20 stocks. So really it's about picking companies that these investment professionals believe will outperform rather than just taking a sort of a bet on what the index will do over time. Can you give us an example? I mean, let's specifically talk about one of the funds and um, how this kind of picking or actively managing this ETF will help to improve investors' performance. Yeah, so there's definitely areas within the market where active management really makes sense. And one of those is smaller companies. So we have a small caps fund, the EInvest Better Future Fund. That's a sustainability-focused fund as well. So there's two aspects of active management in this fund. But let's just talk about small caps to start with. There's a really big difference in the information asymmetry associated with smaller companies. So, you know, you'd imagine in larger companies like CBA and BHP, there's lots and lots and lots of information out there in the public market. So, and there's a lot of analysts as well covering it and, exactly. giving, and disseminating this information. Yeah, exactly. So mm. the ability for you to add value on companies such as that is limited, right? But in smaller companies, they're less covered. There's less liquidity in them. And so for those teams and investment professionals who really do you know, lift the lid on these companies, really study them, understand the drivers, there is really great opportunity to outperform in them. So smaller companies is an area where I believe active management really makes sense, which was one of our first ETS. So yeah, that's why. Is there a passive index for smaller companies? There is a passive index for smaller companies. So say, for example, in Australia here, the ASX small odds is the passive index for it. And we use that as the index for our fund. But, you know, our funds substantially outperformed that index. And so what we also look at is tapping into that investment intellect for those people. Like we've got a team of nearly 20 that look at these stocks. And they also look at large caps, mid caps, small caps, micro caps, unlisted stocks. So think about that in the context of picking companies that fit in this portfolio. So my view is it has the ability to pick better winners because you can see that full context. And you'd assume with that area of the market as well, that there's going to be a lot of companies that are just not going to make it. Some will do well, some won't do well, some will just tick along for years. Absolutely. And diversification is really important in that space. But there are companies that can have really great drivers and one or two things just make them pop. And being on the side of that and understanding the context of that is really important. 
the analysts that you partner with, they're talking with the companies as well and going out and seeing them and really getting their hands dirty, finding out about these? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, particularly in smaller companies, they will go to stores and go and walk through the stores and speak to customers and management within the stores, not only, you know, the senior executives of the business, they'll look at competitors, they'll look at the supply chain and the customers. And, you know, we touched a little bit about ESG, environmental social governance aspects. That's an area where you really do need to actively manage. The indices in that segment are not very good. Like they're based on companies who research other companies on their ESG aspects. And say, for example, if they don't have a policy, they're marked down or they're assumed for a policy. Their carbon emissions, if they don't provide carbon emissions, they might be given a benchmark. But actually, that's really not a good indication of what these companies' output is from an ESG perspective. So analysts go in, they engage with these companies, they understand them in greater detail, and therefore they're able to get greater value for our clients on behalf of that. What's the difference between a managed fund and an active ETF? Well, really, they're one and the same, except they are different in their access. An ETF is a managed fund, but a managed fund in its entirety, as most people know it, is unlisted. So you have to fill out an application form, read your PDS. You might have T plus two days of transactions, and then you get units in the fund. Similarly to an ETF, it is a managed fund. You do need to read the PDS, except it's the transactions. So the ease of transactions, the fact that they are quoted on the exchange, the transparency that you understand what's in the portfolio, I think is a really great thing. And then obviously the liquidity associated with it. You can move and change your portfolio holding up and down depending on when you feel like it. And it's also about your ability to buy it as well. Absolutely. So Mm. for an ETF, you buy through a broker. For a managed fund, generally, you will buy direct through to the fund manager. Now, I'm going to... um I'm going to geek out here because... I love geeks. (laughs) I love geeking out. I really love the talking about fixed income. It's really boring, really. I mean, most people aren't (laughs) really that interested in it, but let's talk about fixed income. Yeah, fixed income is a great area to think about. So stepping back a little bit, when companies, there's two ways to raise capital. They can do it through um, equities or they can do it through debt. And debt is essentially fixed income. And fixed income, the attributes of fixed income are the coupon rate, so the interest rate that you get paid as a borrower, and then also the principal, so the amount of capital that gets borrowed. So fixed income in ETF land has grown a lot in the last um, 18 months. There's a lot more opportunity to invest in fixed income passively and actively. So putting my actively managed hat on, I believe that fixed income should be actively managed. And the reason for that is because fixed income indices aren't that great. So if you think about what fixed income indices are, is those companies who issue the most debt are higher up in the index and therefore get allocated more money. And I don't think that as an investor, I want to be able to sit there and go, I'm allocating my dollar or my $100 to 
the company that's issuing the most debt. That's not the way that I would think about it. The other good thing about actively managed fixed income is that you can move the duration rate, which is a really technical word, of that portfolio. And given that interest rates are low right now, you technically need to have a lower duration portfolio to benefit in this rate environment. But there's a really great article on the EMVest website on fixed income. So if you don't know much and you really want to go and learn some more about that area, head there and you can find us some more. So in its most basic form, it's a way of getting a little bit more money on your term deposit. It's not like a term not deposit. Like a term it's deposit. not like a term deposit at all, but it is, it's a way of generating a bit more interest in your investments. That's right. And there's different types of fixed income in there. So most people do think of term deposits and hybrids. There's also sovereign, so government bonds. Mm-hmm. There's corporate credit. So companies loaning, there's high yield bonds. And so particularly in this area of really low interest rates, what we're finding is investors are actually moving up the risk spectrum, trying to find extra returns from their fixed income portfolios. But fixed income to me is your insurance part of your portfolio. And that's really critical when constructing a full portfolio of equities, fixed income, and, you know, a balanced portfolio, what most people call a balanced portfolio. So fixed income's there to be your insurance for when equities move the way that you probably don't want it to move, right? Mm. Fixed income's attributes is generally lower volatility and the income yield, right? So that is what investors invest for in their fixed income. But particularly now, when interest rates are so low, lots of people are heading towards the higher yielding credit portfolios just to eke out more interest in their portfolios. And I think that a lot of investors don't understand what they're getting into because they move more like equities in higher yielding fixed income than they actually do like bonds. So if you're looking at a fixed income portfolio that is returning 6% or more per annum, you really need to lift that hood, look at what's in it and understand the volatility and return profile of fixed income. Because if fixed income's not there to be your insurance policy, it's there for something else. And you need to understand that when putting your portfolio together. So what I wanted to talk about, coming back to fixed income, you're talking about the risk and that there's different risks in corporate bonds. Presumably it's because the companies that pay the highest amount of interest are not as strong as the ones that are paying a lower amount of interest. Yeah, and I'm most right. probably not using the right terminology here, but if you can explain it a little bit better than what I'm doing. That's right. So if you're a company that is doing really well and you've lent out some money, your interest rate will be generally lower. The industry gives you a what they call credit quality score. So those companies are doing really well and can pay back their interest. They get an A or more on their credit quality score for example, those companies who are not so good at paying back their debt and aren't doing so well, they might get something which is called a triple B or less 
quality score on their credit quality. And that's an easy indicator to show you their propensity and actually default. So when you're looking at a portfolio of fixed income, you should ask yourself not only about what is the return, so what is the coupon rate or the interest rate that you're getting, but also what is the average credit quality of this portfolio? So there are some listed LICs and ETFs out there that have triple B or less credit quality scores as their average portfolio and some who are A or above. So when putting your portfolio together, you need to think about what proportion of my fixed income allocation will go to triple A, double A, A, or even triple B or less. So the propensity to default is higher, obviously, in triple B or less companies. Yep. So there's a spectrum of risk here and the spectrum of defensiveness, I guess, as part of your portfolio. That's So when you're constructing your portfolio, you want to have some maybe less risky or some a little bit more risky, but it's generally defensive, is it? Um, It is generally defensive, fixed income. And defensive, what that means is an opposite correlation to equities. When I was talking about insurance, that's what I'm talking about. So defensive means that when equities goes to minus 10, your fixed income portfolio will be propping up your overall portfolio and will not be volatile like that. However, we've seen recently, particularly in the COVID crunch that happened last year, that all asset classes actually correlate together. So that is just a really good indication of why you really need to have a well-diversified, well-allocated portfolio. And it's diversification across different asset classes, not just diversification within equities. That's right. So diversification within equities and fixed income together, but also equities, fixed income. You might look at alternative assets. You might look at property. You might look at other things as well as that. So you've also got an income generating fund, Mm -hmm. but this is not fixed income. No, that's right. So IGA, the E-Invest Income Generator Fund, that is an Australian shares-based ETF, and it aims to produce a 7% targeted income yield per annum. And it is investing in a group of companies that really are tilted towards those who are higher dividend paying, which is a great portfolio for those investors who are really looking to supplement their income or might be in their retirement phase of their life. But it is volatile because it is equities based. So companies in there, you know, the the banks are in there, some of the REITs are in there because they're really good dividend payers. And that's what that portfolio is about. So big blue chip companies that pay really good dividends over time and consistent dividend players. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So you mentioned hybrids. What's a hybrid? So a hybrid is a mix between a fixed income security and an equity security. So 
It looks like a fixed income security. You loan people money and you get income over time. Who issues them and where do they... um... Well, mainly they're coming from the banks and most of your listeners will understand, you know, that Commonwealth Bank and NAB and ANZ, they will provide hybrid securities out there. But actually the globe is full of hybrids, which is great opportunity to invest globally. But most Australian investors particularly know the, the big bank ones. But... They too can be exchange traded, which is good, but most investors actually hold them to maturity, which is a good thing for... It's what they're designed for really, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But they have that equity attribute where the issuer can actually provide shares if they decide not to pay the capital back. Okay. Well, let's uh, talk about some of your other work and um, F3. Oh, I love F3. F3, Future Female in Finance. Now... It seems to me to be a great industry to work in. It's fabulous. <laughs> it's a fabulous, but, you know, people are perhaps not exposed to it as um, as much as some other areas of employment. So tell us about Future Females in Finance. Yeah, so I started Future Females in Finance a couple of years ago, pretty much at the same time as I was starting Invest, actually, to really actively promote finance as a career to girls, particularly those who are from, you know, year 10 all the way through to the end of university. Because it's an industry that I've been in for nearly 20 years and I love it, but there is a gender gap in this industry, particularly in the analyst side of the industry. So managing the money. And I really want to nudge some really fabulous talent, which there's some great talent out there in the female community that coming through to choose finance as a career. And I mean, you'd well know that finance has a sort of a a reputation issue. The Wolf of Wall Street doesn't help that, I will say. (laughs) But it's a really great career to have. I mean, my days are never the same. I'm surrounded by highly intelligent, intellectual people. I'm meeting clients. I'm talking about money. And I really love that. Had I not have a guy who I deem as my international man of mystery in my life, who was actually my godfather, I wouldn't know what finance was and nor would I have been nudged into the career. My mum was a teacher. My dad was a chemical engineer. I should never have been in finance. So what happened? What was the story with your godfather? So he spent most of my formative growing up years in Tokyo and New York in the 80s and early 90s, which could you imagine how fabulous that would be if you were in finance? Anyway, so he would come back to Sydney in summer, much to fanfare of my parents and, you know, his friends and family and all that sort of stuff. And I'd go around to their place for barbecues and he'd be telling everybody all these fabulous stories of the places he'd been to and the people he'd met and, you know, the deals that he had done. And no one actually knew what he did. Everyone just knew that he had a great time doing it. And so from afar, I was like, I don't know what you do, but whatever it is, I'm doing that. And later on, I actually realized he worked at Citigroup in New York and Tokyo. So this is investment banking? Yeah, investment banking. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that that's what I wanted to do as a career at that point in time. So that's how I got in. But lots of people... They're not exposed to that. Yeah, They don't have that access. Yeah. What I'm finding so interesting about doing the podcast is learning about what companies actually do. And you're actually seeing where all the wheels are turning in how the whole world and the economies operate. Exactly. And if you are a student at university, you think 
that finance is investment banking or accounting, right? But it is an enormous, enormous industry with so many different segments. And you might only think of the big four banks plus Macquarie Bank and maybe UBS and all that sort of stuff as your employer. But actually, there's some great small businesses doing fabulous things with really highly intellectual and they are world leading. But because there's all these perceptions out there of what finance is. People aren't lifting the hood, searching for different careers within finance, let alone choosing finance themselves. So that's why I started F3. And um, you've got some fabulous females in the company as well. I mean, we've had Emily on the uh, the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Emily is a great... Um, and a great mind. She's a great analyst yeah, yeah. and she's really passionate about what she does. And I want to see that in the next generation. So, I mean, Phil, you know, I have a little baby girl who's two and a half and I want to be able to stand here in 20 years time and say, look, join my industry because it is fabulous. And look at the impact that I have made in these last 20 years in changing the gender disparity. Yeah. Um, Has it been changing? I think the industry is a lot more grown up these days and it has been in the past. I think I think it is, but there's a lot of ways to go. So I think the GFC, so the global financial crisis, did not a great thing for graduate recruitment, getting that next um, generation in. And that then set up a whole, you know, following years of a massive gap. I think now everyone's looking at you know, companies are looking at, you know, hiring practices and retaining great female talent and all that sort of stuff. It's now actually getting that female talent up into the top echelon. So, you know, you can't be what you can't see and let's get more females in that space. So from my perspective, F3 is about using that pipeline, getting that next generation in. It is up to the companies within our industry to actually take that gauntlet and move, you know, senior executives up through the ranks and, you know, making it a great place to work for females. Where can people uh, find out more information about F3? So you can go to my website, which is f3.com.au, or you can Google F3. There's lots of different stuff you can do there. But if you're a student at university, you can go and register for work experience. So what we do do is provide an online work experience platform where girls in groups research, analyze, and solve a real business problem with my clients. And, you know, I've just had a couple of groups go through and it's just amazing. You know, they didn't even know what fixed income or ETFs were, two projects that they did. And by the end of it, they were fully versed on both segments of the market, which I think is fabulous. What did they analyse? What was the company that they analysed? Well, so one group looked at the ETF market and they looked at one of my client's product set and said, which products do you recommend and why into the ETF market? And the second group actually looked at factory investing in fixed income and looked at the competitor set out there and sort of really digested where the company was really good at and where the company could have improved because look at what my competitors are doing. This is how they're getting more money. They looked at fees. 
they looked at lots of different stuff. But can you imagine how daunting it is presenting if you're the group of five girls presenting back to the business your findings? They're the ones who are working in the business. The audience is there. They've got all the knowledge and you're presenting your findings. But it's, you know, it's a great way of getting the next generation to look through your product provisions and look through your company and say, hey, well, in my generation's eyes, these are areas where you can improve. And I think that's fabulous. So for someone who's listening to this podcast and they're coming to investing for the first time, male or female, what advice would you give someone who's taking their first steps? To investing? Yes. I think it's just to start, really. And I think ETFs are a really great way to start because – you know, they give you the diversification, they are cheaper in fees and they are liquid. So, you know, you can invest $500 or less, depending on your broker brokerage platform, into your first ETF. And you can use that as an opportunity to educate yourself about ETFs, the markets, things that will provide volatility within the markets, things that will provide company growth and educate yourself about it and then go from there. But I think a lot of people are very much like, oh, I need to have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest, but actually you really don't. So get amongst it. Just start. Just start. Okay, we're going to start. Great. (laughs) Thank you very much, Camilla. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com